The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Powered by Riverside. Everybody, welcome back to not just a regular episode, but the 200th episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Uri here yet again. We have a very special guest, one of our most reoccurring guests, of course, none other than Noah Levick of NBCS Philly. Noah, glad to have you on for our 200th episode, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, no, it's an, it's an honor to be here for a milestone episode. Very, very cool stuff. Thank you. No, it's an honor to have you, man. All your stuff that you write on your site, your own podcast with Danny Pummels. You guys know your Sixers, so thanks for coming on. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. So with that being said, we have a lot to talk about. And Uriah, you're going to introduce the first subject that we got to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Last time we talked, we learned the news that James Harden was opting out, making some financial flexibility for the Sixers franchise and part of that, the result of that, would be signing a former teammate of his, which is P.J. Tucker, which is kind of a big deal considering that Joel Embiid gave his stamp of approval. So let's start things off on P.J. Tucker as the subject. Noah, the question for you is how much of an upgrade is Tucker compared to Danny Green? In my mind, he's not a like-for-like replacement necessarily, but... I do think Tucker is quite valuable because he's versatile and he allows the Sixers uh, to put other guys in better spots due to the fact that he's got a track record of success guarding fours and fives and Kevin Durant and and any other star you want to name, like PJ Tucker's done a pretty darn good job on them. I think the relentless effort is going to be a big deal here culturally for the Sixers uh, and perhaps somewhat contagious um, for the team. Um, But yeah, Danny Green, we know that that's a significant loss. And um, I think Tucker, you know, at least plugs some of the holes related to his absence uh, in addition to bringing other positives to the table. But obviously the price here is significant uh, when you're talking about the non-taxpayer MLE uh, used 100% on a 37-year-old player. And Tucker, deservedly as a, a durable reputation, had a Ironman streak over, I believe, 250 games at one point. But just NBA players in their late 30s, it doesn't tend to go so great from a health standpoint. Uh, and I think that is a valid concern here to have uh, with P.J. Tucker now on board. You bring up some good points. He's not comparable to Danny Green in the terms of offensively. He's not going to go off for like 20 points and, and on any given night. He's not that. He he might get you 10 to 12. P.J. Tucker has always been more of just like passable on offense. And despite having a career year shooting around 41% this season in, with Miami Heat, I don't think you can expect quite the same level of shooting next year like you said age is a concern here especially now if i remember correct no correct me if i'm wrong but didn't keith pompey of the inquirer say that the third year in, in an article prior to the uh actual 
leading up to it. Didn't he say that the Sixers were planning on having that third year, like a, either a team option or like not fully guaranteed, but they ended up giving him that guarantee anyway. That means we're going to be paying around $10 million a, for a 40 year old in the third year of that contract. Not the ideal, you know, allocation of money for sure, but he does bring that pit bull mentality that Joel Embiid said the team was missing. Certainly one of the best, uh, we're not one of the most versatile and tough defenders in the NBA. You could start him along Tobias Harris. That shouldn't be much of an issue. Tobias really stepped up defensively this past year as well. Or you could bring him off the bench. Like you said, he could be a good four slash five, you know, reserve. Either way you swing, I think it's going to be okay for the, at least for this season, possibly next, the next two years as well. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to the comparison of the players, we know that the offense is, like you said, he's not going to give you like a 21-point game the way that Green used to do. And they're both solid defenders. We know Green, uh, believe it or not, is younger. He's two years younger. But offensively, he averaged more points last year with Miami. He averaged more rebounds, and he averaged more assists. The one thing that – and I can't claim to be a P.J. Tucker fan or that I know all of his highlights – but I know Danny Green, would, when he tried to step outside of the three-point spot-up shooting role, think bad things happen. <laughs> and I'm talking about passing and dribbling, et cetera. But I, I think it's, it's a good signing. I think it, it helps the team in, in a lot of different ways that you guys mentioned. But, Lucas, you were alluding to something related to his contract. We know that it's three years, $33 million, fully guaranteed. Noah, is there any particular feeling you have about this contract? Or are there any concerns that you have? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, we're obligated to note, of course, the, the moratorium is um, you know, still ongoing. So uh, the deal is expected to be finalized and you know, we should hear that uh, on July 6th. But yeah, clearly it's a good chunk of money for a player this age. Uh, I think overall, it, it's a logical move to me uh, when you take into consideration how the two star players feel about Tucker as an individual and then also the basketball related benefits. Uh, for me, I, I think the ability to play center is perhaps still even a little bit overlooked with Tucker. Obviously uh, he was sort of pressed into that role with the micro ball era uh, rockets uh, that Daryl Morey constructed, but uh, I think he legitimately can still do it quite well in the playoffs and given the Sixers have 23 year old Paul Reed and 21 uh, year old Charles Bassey as the other main centers on their roster. I think that's a major benefit uh, of adding Tucker uh, to your team. But uh, just as far as strictly the deal and uh, whether it is, you know, an appropriate price, yeah, it's, the price is probably a bit high, but I also think it is telling in, uh, meaningful that it's kind of what the Sixers had to pay, right? Because contending teams and teams that want to win championships, you know, we're, we're going to pay around this range for PJ Tucker. Uh, and the Sixers wanted to ensure that they were not outbid and uh, that, you know, they got a favorite teammate of James Harden in addition to a player that Joel Embiid had high praise for uh, after losing to him in the playoffs. Worst case scenario with this contract is that within like the next two years or so, you know, like not this, probably not this season, but the season afterwards or, you know, third year, you could use it as a trade filler for whatever type of deal you need to make. Kind of like how we viewed the Danny Green contract last year. And that's exactly what happened. You attach a first round pick to it and you can get a solid role player in return. We got D'Anthony Melton for Danny Green. You know, you would suspect something similar. I, I do think that he he is going to give you some versatility. Like, I mean, in the initial year, like this is going to be a good I, – I think this is going to be a good signing the first year. It's just long-term outlook, worst-case scenario, is that you just attach it to a pick and get a role player in return. I, I think that's, that's all pretty well said. Uh, I just think w with contracts and the notion of something being an overpay, you got to consider number one, like, what it is necessary to pay to land the player. And then 
Um, some perspective is always helpful, I would say. So we're not talking Al Horford territory here, right? Uh, we're, yeah. We're exceeding, you know, a hundred, hundred million dollars. Uh, it's, it's the non-taxpayer MLE and the Sixers thought this was a smart way to use it. And I find it difficult to come up with really compelling reasons, you know, why it, why it was not a, a decent move here. Um, just given the importance of building around your superstars, which is what Daryl Morey is all about, uh, and I think correctly so. And just real quick before you wrap up your eye, I had a quick thought here. Now you have two players that can legitly guard Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have Joel Embiid, who we know can hold his own against Giannis, and now you have P.J. Tucker, who we you know was brought in more for like the Jason Tatums of the East, but certainly could hold his own against Giannis in, you know, limited matchups, I would suspect. I actually don't think it's an outlandish thing to say at all. Yeah, I mean, I was just scrolling through, like, you know, the, the matchup data and NBA.com. Oh, yeah, you no, know, you would have to see the, yeah. The guys he's guarded, no, they're just the guys he's guarded the most in the playoffs. It's a, it's a who's who. Uh, there are many all-star names on there. Uh, you even go back to... His work on Jimmy Butler in the first round uh, when Milwaukee uh, eliminated Miami. He was super impressive in that series. Uh, didn't do quite as well, I believe, on Stephen Adams and the, the bubble series. <laughs> Steven yeah. Adams, yeah. That's fair. But wait, Lucas, I, I have to I have to retort in okay. you, you said Giannis. I don't know if you really meant that as your example. Do you really think Tucker can do anything with Giannis? Honestly, or do you have Look, stats to back it up? I don't know. I don't, I don't have stats. It was just a spur of the moment thought. I would okay. have to go review it. But I'm thinking of like a guy that's not going to be bullied by Giannis in the post. Now, I'm not saying that Giannis couldn't beat him laterally. Probably right. could. But like a guy that's not going to get like pushed underneath the basket, that's not going to be PJ against Giannis. Right. Giannis would have to work for his baskets right. against PJ. That's just my thoughts. Well, I think with the in terms of years and money you guys are talking about, we're in win now mode. Joel Embiid wants to and needs to win now. James Harden is not getting any younger, as you saw, and I'm sure that hamstring has something to do with his decline in, in offensive production. But the reality is this. Best case scenario, Tucker comes as advertised. He plays like he did with Miami last season and with his championship ring season in Milwaukee. Worst case scenario, which is the trepidation that I have, Noah, is just like with Mike Scott, who was younger at the time when he signed with the Sixers. The next year he came back, he completely lost his shot and was not what we needed him to be almost unplayable. So that's where I, that's where my head is now with the money and the expectations. Hopefully it's it's the Miami Tucker we get and not the uh the last year of Mike Scott on the Sixers. Can we even are we even allowed to say Mike Scott on this podcast because uh Why not? I mean, just I I've written a, I wrote a lot of like like I I I like Mike Scott the person, but I I I bashed him as the player towards the end of his career. I don't know if he, he I don't know if we're you know he's he's coming in our clubhouse sometimes, right? You know that I I've never seen Mike Scott in the clubhouse. He was he was in the clubhouse a couple of weeks ago because Ben I might have not ben, been there. ben has had conversations. He he was like he texted and he's like, Mike Scott's in the room, let him in. So I tried to let him in and he was like, Hey, I'm busy. I can't really comment. But but look, look, Mike Scott. Everyone loves Mike Scott. He's a, a yeah. great, yeah, yeah, yeah. like gritty player. But the reality is, at the end of his career, he kind of he lost his shooting touch, and it's nobody's fault. But it just he lost that ability, and and we're not really denigrating him. We're just saying, hey, we'd rather have the younger Mike Scott in the version of mm -hmm. PJ Tucker as opposed to the latter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so. Besides P.J. Tucker, Noah, the Sixers made two other signings. Let's talk about Daniel House Jr. first. How does he help the Sixers? I think he's an NBA quality wing, and they needed uh, one of those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, to the notion of, like, how do they replace Danny Green, I think House is most likely a significant part of that picture. Uh, I think we don't want to – 
overstate the impacts uh, he will make here because the reality is the one sustained stretch of NBA success he's had is with the Houston Rockets. And outside of that, he's bounced around a lot. But uh, I think he's sturdy. I think he's solid defensively. Um, and I think the Sixers prioritize upgrading their depth and their perimeter defense and their toughness and their athleticism and house aligns with all of those goals quite nicely and oh by the way he's a former teammate of james harden who's very familiar with uh all that that entails he knows harden's going to draw double teams and that he's going to have to make sharp decisions uh, when the ball comes to him in those spots he knows how to let it fly on the catch and shoot threes. And I think he also has more ability to pump fake and then slash to the rim uh, when the, the shot is not there than someone like a Furkan Korkmaz uh, or a Matisse Thibel, certainly. So I've always liked House's game personally. Uh, I just think it's all about expectations with these role players. And realistically, uh, it's probably not a great thing if the Sixers are relying on him to be there sixth, seventh man or someone, you know, playing 30 minutes a night. But uh, if they can slot him into a role where he's just solid three and D and perhaps some nights uh, the streaky shooting uh, runs hot, um, I think that's that's positive. So, uh, the, yeah, they use the biannual exception on house, and I think that's a reasonable price. Uh, it was strange to me, frankly, when he was getting 10 days last year. I've always thought he was a, a higher level player than that. Uh, and I think most likely he's a part of this rotation and uh, helps this team, albeit not in a dramatic way. I uh, just think it's important to recognize that he's a piece of the puzzle, um, just not a huge one. I think that his athleticism definitely helps in his familiarity playing with James Harden, who, by the way, the one or the few seasons that he played with James Harden, that was his best shooting years in Houston and obviously talking about Daniel house. So for him to be able to stretch the floor and like, no, it's talking about being a three and D wing type player, someone who can D up on the opposing team's best wing players. That's something that we lacked last season. And, you know, if, if the Sixers are shopping Matisse Thibel and he does get traded, you will need someone to, to fill that role along with Melton. So I think I think it's a good pickup. He helps in a lot of different areas, and let's just hope that 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 chemistry he had with Harden is is something that's going to remain. I have somewhat of a hot take here. Are you guys ready for this? I'm ready. You could make a strong argument that Daniel House should start over PJ Tucker. Uh oh. Let me let me explain <laughs> why. House is a higher volume three point shooter and much more adept to be able to move on offense. Like you can do more with House on offense. That I remember watching him when I used to cover the Suns for Valley of the Suns, and he was a rookie on a ten day there. He has he has skill sets that can be used outside of just shooting. Tucker does not, and you can make the argument, especially if Tucker does show any signs of slowing down this this season that House should be the fifth starter because he does fill more of the traditional three and D, you know, will hike up a lot of three pointers. Tucker only shot around what one or two, three pointers a game last season. I don't know House's exact stats, but I would suspect that once he got to Utah and he had a normal role there because that's who he ended the season with. I suspect he had more attempts per game than, than Tucker and with a guy like Joel Embiid you need a guy that's willing to let it fly whatever and however often you need it to so that's that's my hot take Noah do you agree with yeah. that or what do you think um it's probably a little a little hot for me but I, I hear where you're coming from I think ultimately a lot of this um who starts who closes sort of decision-making just has to hinge on matchups and Doc Rivers is a coach who relies on his gut feel and also a lot on um, just what he thinks is going to work best in a particular series or a particular matchup. So I think the bottom line is house enhances their ability to 
have viable options to guard wings. So does Tucker. Uh, I, I am, yeah, I, I would be surprised if we're in a spot where Tucker's playing really low minutes semi-regularly, you know, 20, 15 minutes a game. I do think they want to lean on him more than that because yeah, uh, they recognize how impactful he tends to be in ways that, you know, the traditional box score stats do not reflect. But I uh, know I definitely hear what you're saying that house fits especially well next to James Harden and Joel Embiid. Part of that's in theory, but part of that's also that at least a couple of years ago, we have evidence uh, that he did quite well. Uh, I think the locker room chemistry interpersonal side of this is going to be interesting because of house's history there uh when he was found to have had an unauthorized guest in his hotel room in the bubble. oh yes that's right that's right i forgot yeah, about so, that so you know james harden was blunt after that like this is very disappointing you know this is a player um who's big for our team and now their entire postseason was thrown into this state of great uncertainty because uh, of this decision he made. Obviously that was a couple years ago. Some time has passed and as you know, it's a mistake that house made and everyone seems to have moved on from it, but just how everything develops over the course of the season with these personalities uh, is going to be something to watch for sure. And speaking of personalities, for anybody that watches the G League, they know that Trevlin Queen certainly has a personality. But besides that, he was one of the the other the well not one of the he was the other signing that the Sixers made, G League regular season and finals MVP, beating the Delaware Bluecoats Sixers G League affiliate in the G League finals. What are your thoughts about Trevlin? <laughs> Really intriguing pickup. I just talking G League and the Blue Coats. I, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, there's there's a video of him stomping on the Blue Coats yes. logo. Yes, I saw that. Yes, Almost, not not quite like To on the Dallas Star level, but definitely. <laughs> If Delaware team was not happy with that, he was ejected as well as two other blue coats. I think as a result of the scuffle wow. that followed that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I, I saw that game live. I remember that. So yeah, that, that's a little interesting piece of uh, traveling Queens history, but uh, intriguing, intriguing tools. Uh, the production of course was awesome. in the G league, I think he had like three steals per game. Uh, yep, regular to, season. Yep. Yeah, it gets up a gets up a ton of threes. Kind of a wiry, athletic frame, and I'm impressed with just what it's, what seems like this ability to just find productive spots on the court that opponents maybe aren't used to guys being, or um, you know, don't quite um, have familiarity with playing against someone who moves, you know, quite like this guy. Uh, but yeah, the bottom line is like Daryl Morey. And it has continued since he's left uh, in Houston, just really good at finding like toolsy players that like to play fast and are good at it. Uh, and I think Trevor and Queen in a, in a broad sense checks that box. Um, I'm not too sure how things are going to play out with the Sixers final regular season roster and, and whether he will indeed be a part of it. But the summer league is uh, coming up in the not too distant future. And I think if he continues to be extraordinarily productive there, that would give him a leg up. And perhaps if there is a competition for a last roster spot on the Sixers or something along those lines. Hey, getting that second MVP on on the Sixers squad from the G League, that's not too many teams can say they have that. So as far as him in the G League, you guys summed it up. He's wiry. He's athletic. He's not afraid to shoot, obviously, and he has ups. He can get up with the best of them. He did play some NBA minutes last season. He played 10 games. He averaged about seven minutes per game, only 4.3 points. But that's just because he played in the G League and and Houston had their rotation going already. So we'll see, like Noah said, with the uh, Summer League, let's see what he can do. I'm not that optimistic that he'll see a lot of playing time for Philly this year. But, you know, maybe he'll surprise us. So a few things that I want to add here. So I've done my research. He's 25 years old. 
the most young players. So that's a positive. He only has one season, two seasons of G League experience. He averaged, he first year was the year before this past one. He averaged around nine points a game. Then he jumps up. So for the showcase, he averaged 22 points a game during the regular season, 25. And Noah, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't during the playoffs, he averaged like 26 or 28 on like 50 40 shooting, too. That sounds about right. I know in game one of the G League finals, he had 44 points, which is not. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this guy's averaging like five assists, no, six rebounds, five assists during the, the playoffs as well. So the guy, the guy can be special. I think if he, if you're that good in the G League, you, your, your ceiling should be at least a role player in the NBA. At least, at least a role player. I, I, I have really high hopes for this kid. He's, he, he's not as wiry as I, I don't think he's wirely wiry. Sorry, I can't say the word right now. <laughs> I don't think he's as thin as you guys are putting him out to be. He he has solid muscle mass to him. He he is like I said, personality, you gotta get that in check. But like everything else, he checks the box. He's six six, solid wingspan, can finish in tr- in transition. Like you said, Noah plays very fast, willing to shoot 10 three pointers a game if if called upon. Like he's basically what you would hope Isaiah Joe would be. And, you know, it will be really interesting how him and Joe, like, compare in terms of production during the summer league. Yeah, so uh, first off, I I was not trying to use wiry in a negative sense, more just a a physical descriptor. Obviously, he gets the spots he needs to on the floor and Mm -hmm. uh, is is effective in those ways. And then I also think it's, you know, probably not super fair to say that this is someone with character concerns or personality concerns or anything along those lines. Um, He's been ultra resilient, has this uh, very difficult backstory where, uh, he was homeless for a bit as a teenager and bounced around to multiple junior colleges. And I just had this real odyssey to crack professional basketball and uh, seems to be really deeply motivated to succeed um, and have confidence that he can do it because just getting this far is already improbable. So um, I think the innate competitiveness seems to be there and uh, you need that. You need some of those just intangibles um, if you're talking about someone who's trying to go from the fringes to a legit NBA role guy, like you said, but it's on. I, I do. I do want to, I, I didn't mean like he, he's a troubled kid or anything like yeah. that. I, I didn't mean that. I just meant like the, the stomping of the logo that was not the best, like the, the, the the context of the game, and you, I'm sure you saw it, Noah, so you know that the, they were already beating the Bluecoats by a lot, and it just it seemed unnecessary. And like maybe I'm nitpicking because I'm from Delaware, and I like I, I took and Bluecoats are my team. Like I feel connected to them more than the Sixers just because they're in Delaware. But like, I mean, overall, no, you're right. He he did come from a very rough background. Uh, Obviously, he's fought tooth and nail and deserves a chance, and he's getting this chance now, and I certainly hope that he gets it. I I am cheering for him to get on the Sixers team. All right, the next topic has to do with any moves that the Sixers can make from here out between now and the start of the regular season. We know that there have been some Supermax extensions. Devin Booker, John Morant, Nikola Jokic signed the richest contract in NBA history. So with that being said, Noah, in your opinion, who do you think the Sixers could be still interested in, in a trade situation or a signing? And who do you think they would have to give up to get the player that you think they should get? Uh, you can't rule anything out with Daryl Morey, but honestly, my read for the time being is that anything major uh, this off season is now not that likely. Um, you know, that there's been plenty of Eric Gordon buzz, but, um, you know, my, I, my intel on that is it's not that probable. And I, I think that lines up with 
just the logistics of the situation, the reality that Eric Gordon has a contract of almost almost 20 million and therefore how do you find a deal where the Sixers come out of it uh, feeling that they want it? It, it just it just doesn't really uh, seem feasible to me and you can understand Daryl Morey having interest in yet another one of his former players and uh, one who could theoretically supplement the Sixers' outside shooting and their perimeter scoring, but it uh, doesn't look like Gordon is is that likely for the time being. Uh, and I think perhaps, you know, you could see a marginal move or two and some tinkering with the kind of back end of the rotation, back end of the roster Perhaps, but I, I think they do feel pretty good about the moves they have made thus far. And uh, another big one this offseason uh, would surprise me. I think the reality of the NBA is usually you do get a, a rapid increase in deals you know, around that February trade deadline just because teams become more desperate and uh, the incentives change. Uh, I think for the time being a deal where the Sixers come out feeling that they want it. Uh, it's just, just not that likely right now. And I think it's always important to keep in mind with Daryl Morey, like, yes, he's aggressive and he explores all the options, but this is also an extremely competitive, arguably cutthroat guy where he doesn't like the idea of losing, you know? So I think the notion of anything close to the Sixers dumping a player or, making a neutral-ish move um, just doesn't align with who Daryl Morey is. So I I don't expect to see anything massive uh, from this team um, anytime soon, but I'm also prepared for the possibility that they stun me, but uh, that's, that's my read on it right now. So, so no Kevin Durant, that's what you're saying. No Kevin Durant for us. Uh, it seems that the odds on that probably are an inaccurate reflection of the situation that the Sixers should not be considered among, uh, among the Durant favorites. I, I think it is also fair to characterize them as a team where you genuinely cannot rule anything out. Um, and I, I think that is probably true of any player you want to name, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to see them as a team that, emerges the winner of the Durant sweepstakes or or something like that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I agree. Because you look at it, you have – you could do Tobias Harris. I know most fans – a good portion of our fans would not want to trade Tyrese Maxey, and normally I wouldn't either. But Kevin Durant is one of the few players that you do that trade involving Maxey. And, of course, Thibault, too because those are your three best trade assets uh, outside of Joel and Harden, to be honest. And you do those three, but you don't and, – and, like, that's a not a bad package. But the thing is the Sixers don't have the draft equity because all is the 29th pick plus pick swaps up leading up to that because all of our other picks are tied up in trades, correct? Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely not well positioned to send a boatload of attractive picks. Uh, and, and I think, sure, the Nets, by deferring uh, the pick from the Harden deal, took a reasonable bet that the Sixers might be worse than a 23rd picking team next year. But as long as Joel Embiid and James Harden are on this roster, every team is going to assume that this is not a lottery level team, right? So the Sixers mm-hmm. trading around, you know, trading a pick, even if it's, you know, well down the line, I think most teams will operate under the assumption that that is a pick in somewhere in the twenties. Um, and that's not super attractive. So yeah, obviously Tyrese Maxey is close to as good as you can get. If you're talking about a young stud who's got both potential and, actual high level NBA production already at 21 years old, but I think uh, other teams will definitely be able to make stronger offers than the Sixers here, or at least that's my mm-hmm. gut feel based on a, a broad survey of uh, the NBA marketplace as it stands. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have, I'm very fascinated to see how 
the Durant and Irving sweepstakes uh, shake out, but mm-hmm. I would be surprised if, if either player um, turns out to be a sixer. Yeah, and we'll, we'll certainly get into those two later. But I guess to go piggyback off your point, yeah, I don't see any major moves happening. Like you said, with Eric Gordon, the money just doesn't match up now. The the Anthony Melton trade pretty much all but killed those trade talks with Gordon. And honestly, I think I would prefer Melton over Gordon right now. Gordon's, what, like 33 now? So he's he's getting up there. And he showed a little bit of regression on a rebuilding team last year. So I'm not thrilled about that. So wait, you also, guys, you, nobody mentioned bringing uh, Russell Westbrook to the Sixers? Nobody, we're not. Nobody? Come on now. Come on. Come on. Come, you don't think he would fit? Come on, son. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I just saw the internet is the best, right? Donovan yeah. Mitchell and Emmanuel, and Emmanuel Quickly are in the Hamptons together. Well, not together, but mm. in the Hamptons, along with you-know-who and Daryl yeah, Boyne, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I just wanted to say real quick that – Look, if it's not Kevin Durant, there's really no one else I want to add to the Sixers. And and like Noah said, there's a slim chance. I just saw that I think Toronto is plus 300 to land KD over any other team because they probably have more assets that Brooklyn find more intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, if it's not Durant, I don't I don't care about anybody else. I, I'd roll the dice with this team. I'll say this. I'll say this. There are two moves that I, I'm not like pushing for, but I'd be OK if they happen. You know, with Joel Embiid, it's always good to have a little extra depth at center. Having a veteran, like, fourth-string center behind, like, Bassey and Reed, I'm okay with. Get a veteran guy that can, you know, give you some solid minutes. I don't know who that is off the top of my head. Maybe Marcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin-type deal. I don't know. But just, like, an emergency. Dwight Howard? Maybe. Hey, hey, never say never, right? He wasn't bad. Like I'm going to be doing an all, all like all time rankings of Joel's backups up to this point. Dwight's probably in the top ten, to be honest. He is. Like, yeah, to be honest. So, like, Dwight would not be a terrible choice to be like your fourth string center. Now, I don't know if Dwight would want to do that because he still wants to play. But I mean, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. And the only concern is would Doc River play Dwight over? Charles Bassey, I don't know. I mean, not Charles Bassey. Um, I would sure hope not. <laughs> well, well, you never know <laughs> sure. with Doc. You never know with Doc, though. I mean, they they ran, they rode the uh, DeAndre Jordan train way too long, and they even gave Paul Millsap the chance. Um, that being said, the other thing that I wouldn't mind is having a secondary. Like, I know we have a lot of combo guards behind Harden, but we don't have a true point guard behind Harden. Like a, a guy that can run the offense. Shake Milne can't do it. The Anthony Melton can't do it. Tyrese Maxey showed flashes of it last year, but he, right when he was starting to hit his stride, that's when we made the Harden trade. So I don't know if Maxey's going to be able to do that full, you know, be able to be a f- real orchestrator of the offense on a consistent basis. What about Schroeder? Um, no, 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 no. I don't want that locker room cancer anywhere near this team. I'm sorry. He like no no no. I mean seriously, outside of his one year with Chris Paul, every other stop that he's had, he has had issues. Atlanta, he did not end well. The Lakers didn't end well. Boston didn't end well. And who cares about the Rockets right now? Like, no, I'm and no, that's me. But like in all seriousness, though, we don't know how it ended with the Rockets. But I'm suspecting because he's not re-signed yet that it probably didn't end well. I, I and I, he's not the type of guy I'm looking for. I'm looking for like a uh, I know how Neto already signed with like the Cavaliers, but somebody that can run an offense like Ish Smith, who congrats to Ish Smith being the first player to ever play for 13 NBA teams. Um, but yeah, that those were those are two minor moves that I'm open to making, but I don't think you absolutely need those moves either. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. So if the Sixers were in a different roster spot, salary cap sort of situation, I think I was on the same page with you with it might not have been a bad idea to add just one of these veteran bigs. I was intrigued by the idea of Serge Ibaka on a minimum, perhaps. Okay, yeah, I, I had him on my list, yeah. Yeah, um, but they're just not in that spot nowadays. And also... I think it's fair enough if you don't want to load up too heavily on centers 
given they most definitely did that last season and were rostering DeAndre Jordan and a 37-year-old Paul Millsap. Like, probably don't need to overdo it. And you also look across the league and how playoff series are determined and the league is shifting more and more toward players who are 6'5 through 6'8 and can guard a lot of positions effectively as opposed to traditional point guards and traditional centers. Uh, So I don't think the Sixers are in a bad spot right now on paper at center, especially because as we talked about, PJ Tucker most definitely has the ability uh, to play backup minutes there. Um, So if if it's just you're analyzing the roster and what's weakest or what's most uncertain, honestly, I might identify still the wing for the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Because I, I think Matisse Thibel still needs to prove that he is not a one-way player. Corkmaz. Uh, yeah, he's improved defensively, but still, still a one-way a, player. Pretty yeah. much a one-way player, yeah. And then Daniel House is a two-way player, but uh, a journeyman two-way player yeah. who will need no. to show that he can – replicate the success he had with Harden and Houston. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure there is a viable path to the Sixers becoming better at the wing before the trade deadline, but I would imagine in January, February, uh, they might look for ways to address that position. I really wanted the Sixers to go after Otto Porter Jr. I'm very upset that the Raptors caught him instead. Um, because I thought he was the type of wing we needed a six eight guy that can guard both three anywhere from two to four. And I that's the type of wing that I wanted. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm happy with House and Tucker, but like I don't know, a guy like Otto Porter Jr. It would be the, I've, it would be the perfect fit. I mean, look at the bloodline being the grandson of Will Chamberlain. <laughs> That would he be does look like fit. he does look like the, him, and like I've seen the fan theories. Like technically, the the age would line up. We don't know who. I don't. Does Porter like? I don't. I I guess. Look, let obviously. me tell you. A, let me tell you guys a crazier conspiracy theory. Okay, Someone put out on the internet that Jimmy Buckets is the illegitimate son of Michael Jordan. And they went down this long laundry list of what was going on in the 80s and and how Jordan was having affairs. I'm like, what? And then they juxtaposed the faces. I'm like, no, he doesn't look anything like that. Well, okay, okay. Here's a crazy fact. So not a theory, but this is an actual fact. So Jalen Rose, right? His father was Jimmy um, Walker. Jimmy Walker, yeah. Yes. Drafted in 67, right? Yep. His father was a child in the same school district that I work in now. Oh. He, he was born in the same county that I work in now in Virginia. How do you even know that? Because I, I I looked it up. It was on basketball. I thought it was a no, street no, no, no. named after him or something. No, 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 no. I looked up on basketball reference, and he was born in Amherst County, Virginia. That is the district. That is the county that I work for. He okay. grew up there, so that's that's a fun little fact there, and that, I like the fact that Jalen Rose is related to his. Like that's a cool little like fun fact there, but that is a great yeah. fact. But no, if you really like, uh, no, I have you ever seen a picture of Wilt Chamberlain and Otto Porter Jr. next to each other? I have. There is a strong, strong resemblance, most definitely. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, no, I hear you. I, uh, I want somebody to ask him this publicly so we can get an answer. I want an answer. I'm not going to be the one that said. <laughs> I'm just saying. I want somebody. Uh, next time Toronto yeah. comes down, you got to do it yeah. for us. And we're going to talk about the rest of the moves in the Eastern Conference. Well, mainly the big moves here. But no, let me ask you this: on paper, how good are the Sixers with this current roster construction compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference? These sort of questions still inevitably hinge a lot on which version of James Harden they get next year. So that's fair. It's really is really tough to answer until we know that. I think my general prognostication on Harden is that he'll be a little more explosive and a little more comfortable and 
a little more at home in Philadelphia and we'll see a slightly better player, certainly than the one who showed up in, in game six versus Miami. But, but of course, I don't think anyone is expecting a dramatic return to his leading the league in scoring days. Uh, and I think the Sixers recognize that he is still legitimately one of the NBA's best passers and they want to capitalize on that and they want to have him running the show and getting other guys around him a ton of open threes. Uh, and I think he's still, you know, is most likely capable of uh, doing all that stuff at a high level. Uh, but yeah, as far as the landscape of the East, the Celtics made a very nice move in my view, picking up uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. There are, I wish that was us. Yeah. Of course there are legit concerns regarding Brogdon's health and whether he will indeed be available for Boston in the playoffs and uh, whether his shooting will return to its norm after uh, a down year. But I think he is exactly what they were looking for in terms of being able to help them run smoother offense and um, just another legit scorer and legit shooter uh, alongside two excellent wings on that team. Um, So I think Boston is quite obviously the team to beat in the East. Uh, Porter, I agree, was a a good pickup for Toronto. Uh, I don't think he's someone who necessarily will totally swing the Eastern Conference one way or the other, but good good move for that team and uh, helps them be a little better position to beat a team like the Sixers in a playoff series. And I think whenever you face the Raptors, you figure uh, that is going to be a tough series and they're going to make you work for everything. Uh, Milwaukee, you know, made some, some solid um, moves, just bringing guys back, Bobby Portis um, among them. Uh, And then the Joe Ingles pickup, I think. Yeah. X factor potential sort of in the East. Like if Joe Ingles is, close to what he was uh, before his injury, uh, that's a big deal uh, for Milwaukee and takes perhaps some of the load off off Giannis just in terms of playmaking and, of course, surrounds him with yet another high-level shooter. But health is a major question mark there. And if he comes back healthy and is hitting his stride come playoff time, uh, Milwaukee looks like a tougher team to beat. So... I think the Sixers still need to prove that they can indeed contend for the Eastern Conference title. But I also think uh, if you look at the roster compared to the team they fielded for game six against Miami, they have gotten better for the reasons we've discussed uh, with Tucker improving their toughness and their versatility and House uh, doing many of the same things. And I, I thought the Melton trade, it's hard for me to give that anything less than an A. I think they picked up a excellent player at forcing turnovers. They picked up one of the best rebounders at his position, uh, and he's only 24 years old. So there is perhaps the potential for growth here uh, as he adjusts to a role alongside us, two superstars. Yeah, the you look at that game six against Miami, and – the lack of hustle, the lack of athletic ability to combat what Miami was able to throw at the Sixers. It seems as though on paper that Daryl Morey has solved that issue. As far as depth is concerned, you got Maxi and Milton, uh, James Harden, obviously, is as potential starters. Or Milton or Milton? Milton for point guards. Okay. Uh, PJ Tucker being added with Matisse Thibel, who's still in the team, obviously. Cork Maz, I think I don't see him getting any minutes just because Doc gave him so many chances last year and he he could not pull through. Tobias is still here. He's he's a, a, a constant or a consistent player. I know some people are like, oh, he's overpaid, but at this point, he's got two more years left. Just deal with it. And obviously, Embiid, Paul Reed, George's Niang is still in the roster, Daniel House. Isaiah Joe, I think, still is going to have an opportunity to prove himself. I think the Sixers, like Noah said, the Sixers are better. As far as the other teams in the Eastern Conference, I do think, Noah, your point about Joe Engels, that is such an overlooked deal that can make a big difference. I think he's an underrated 
playmaker as a, as a big man. He's a great shooter. Once he comes back healthy, I think that that just makes them even more dangerous. Uh, talking about Milwaukee, there, there's a lot more moves to be made, and I don't, I don't want to dive too too much into it. So, Lucas, yeah, what are your thoughts? You could make the argument that the Sixers have the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference with Harden and Maxi. Now, you could say, "Oh, well, what about Atlanta. Young?" And that I was Atlanta. about to say, yeah, 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 I was about to say, you Atlanta might have it now, but like, still, the second best backcourt in in the East is pretty good to boast. And then you have the best center, arguably the best player in the Eastern Conference, in Joel Embiid. Now, Giannis lovers, don't hate me on that. It's just you know somebody finished second versus third in the MVP coach voting, but. My point is to say this: You still have a big three, and actually, no, we've coined, we have a little coined phrase here on the podcast and for the website. We have the core four of you know Joel, Harden, Maxi, Harris. That core four is arguably the best four players of any like team in the Eastern Conference. And yeah, you could look at the teams like. Milwaukee, they've added a little bit more depth, re-signed their core, the, like their core reserves, which was good moves by them. The Hawks, I don't know. I don't know if that – like talent-wise, it's there. I just don't know if they're going to be able to sacrifice enough, enough to get the ball out, you know, to make that work. Jalen Brunson does not change anything for the Knicks. They're still going to be like a bottom-end playoff team if that. I like Jalen Brunson, though. I think they just overpaid there. The teams that I'm still putting ahead of the Sixers right now are the Bucks and the Celtics. Celtics got better. The Bucks are still really good. We took away PJ Tucker from the Heat. I honestly think we would have heat beat the Heat if not been for Joel's injuries. So I my my stance still holds there that we're better than the Heat, and I just don't see anybody that's made a big enough move, and especially now with the Nets falling apart, which we're about to get into. So let's just get into that now, actually. What teams in the East do you think improved or take, took step back, uh, Noah? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we we mostly covered it there. I think just on this question and the preceding one, it is important to note this all comes with the huge asterisk of Kevin Durant not ending up in the Eastern Conference. If Miami were to somehow uh, land him or the Raptors, as you mentioned, uh, that's obviously a huge, huge deal and totally changes the complexion. Or Boston. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess there are many teams that you can't entirely rule out. uh, And... Is hugely significant if Kevin Durant ends up on one of them. Uh, but yeah, I think the Brogdon deal was the one that stood out to me where I was like, whoa, that was better for Boston than I was expecting, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I, had, I still have reservations about the likelihood that he is healthy and the best version of himself for big games, but I think there's a decent chance that Malcolm Brogdon is still very good and gives the Celtics uh, a better chance to win in the playoffs. And geez, we're talking about a team that wasn't that far from the NBA title. Uh, That's a formidable, formidable opponent on paper. Uh, And even in that final series, you're dealing with Robert Williams, who is much less than hundred percent and a team that was quite obviously just exhausted uh, after being taken to its limits by Miami. So, yeah, I think Boston, uh, if they can pull off anything resembling full health, um, has a really good chance to repeat as Eastern Conference champions based on where we stand today. Um, And, yeah, I think other than that, the Sixers, as we've said, got better. Um, Milwaukee potentially got a little bit better and was already very good. Miami's a big TBD. And... I don't see any of those other chasing sort of teams that you mentioned um, having improved substantially enough to truly challenge uh, for an Eastern Conference title outside of a bunch of stuff, you know, breaking their way. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I see things overall uh, in the East right now. I do think the Sixers, you know, standing here on July third with. 
many things potentially still on the table had a good off season in comparison to the teams they're competing against. But you look at the number one in team in the East, uh, they made a very strong move as long as Malcolm Brogdon is healthy. Yeah, I think Atlanta made a great move and they basically gave away nothing for DeJounte Murray. Boston definitely got better with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon. Kind of feel bad for Charlotte <laughs> just because, and it's not really funny what's going on with their their player that they were going to offer a contract to, talking about Miles Bridges, but hey, uh, read what you sow. Uh, as far as Miami, I think we're still waiting to see what they're going to do. I think Oladipo is going to be leaving, if I'm not mistaken. He's actually back, yeah. Oh, he uh, did, he's going back? Reportedly uh, one year, 11 million. So, okay. Um, yeah, if, if he becomes a little more comfortable post-injury and a little more at home in that system, that's beneficial for them. But I think overall... Uh, of course, we're, we're kind of waiting and seeing and aware that they are potentially one of the teams that you know would have a semi-realistic chance at Durant, in part because of the reported preference of Durant to either end up in uh, Phoenix or Miami. So um, we shall see what, what Pat Riley has up his sleeve. Look, of course, Miami's never you can you can't count them out. I even heard people saying, oh, what if they trade Jimmy Butler for Kevin Durant? Technically, yes, you could. But I don't know if that makes them, like, if that makes the Heat significantly better. It would be funny to see Brooklyn have both Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler, though. Because, well, they didn't end on great terms before. Um, I do want to take a note here. Ben Simmons, and no, you, you, you were closer to the situation than us, but... Ben Simmons' camp said that, you know, he never got a chance to run a team, you know, rebuilding team. Well, that's not going to be the case now with the Nets. The question, uh, uh, here's my thing. I want to know who's going to jump into the vacuum here now that the Nets have left. There's kind of like that, who's going to be that fourth or fifth team in the East that's going to be really scary? I I think it's going to be the Raptors. You look what they have. I think yeah. Scotty Barnes is going to take a big jump this year. Yeah, like they, if they don't trade him for uh, Kevin Durant, like regardless, I think the Raptors are going to be the team to watch for in the East. But right now, I think the that's they depending on what they get back from Durant, they could still be a playoff team, and I think they should be because tanking does not do anything for them. They they've sold all their picks to the Rockets for that James Harden trade, so they don't have any control over their own picks. So being bad just to be bad is not going to help. And obviously they don't want to help build another contender in Houston like they did with the Celtics in the about 10 years ago, actually. Wow. In a while. I'll agree with you that I I think Scotty Barnes has potential to to make a huge leap, but I don't know if there's enough shots in Toronto right now with him, knowing he's there with OG and Nobi. He's with Siakam. You know that uh, who's the guard? Uh, Gary yeah, Van you know, Van Vliet needs his shots. So I don't know if he has enough touches to blossom this year. In Toronto. I think I think Toronto has too many pieces, and they need to consolidate them. Maybe away. that's why. To, maybe that's why the Nets are targeting them, saying you have. Well, they, they 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 want Scotty Barnes. Right now, if I'm right. Toronto, I say no. But you could still build a really good package, say around Ananobi or Siakam or both. You could ship them both and say, hey, we'll give Wait, you both. You, would, just give- you wouldn't take Kevin Durant and give up uh, no, Scotty Barnes? No, I'm saying they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. Oh, okay. I, I don't okay. – I probably would. Yeah. Because, look, Scotty Barnes might be an eight-time All-Star. Very true. But he's not there yet. They basically could redo the Kawhi thing, except instead of one year, you get four years of that. And honestly, Toronto, like low key, might be a really good place for KD because he doesn't. Yes, like, I think. I, I think place for him. Here's another place for KD, and I heard Windhorse talk about this before. Brian Windhorse of ESPN, of course. And Noah, let me know what you think here too. The Pelicans, they have more than enough picks. They have Brandon Ingram. You could send other young players too. 
But imagine having a core three, uh, actually core four, of C.J. McCollum, Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, that's winning you a title. Like I don't see how that doesn't win you a title. And if you can keep keep Herb Jones too, that's even better. No, nah, they'll they'll probably need him back. Oh, probably they yeah. they. There's got to be some salary stuff in there that they got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you might have to do Valanciunas, which you could swallow if you had to. You got Jackson Hayes, you'll be okay. But like, yeah. I I think New Orleans would be another like like dark horse to watch out for. What are your thoughts? Where do you think Durant goes? Oh, I I do not have a great level of confidence in whatever I might predict. As I said, I I feel like what he wants, or at least what he does not want, we shouldn't overlook that. Uh, sure, Sean Marks' ultimate obligation is to do what's best for the franchise, but I don't think they want a even more unpleasant situation where Durant is displeased with where he ends up. Uh, and I think his input matters, and I think, therefore, there is a higher level of motivation on Brooklyn's side to find a deal with uh, one of these one of these preferred teams. But mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, I thought New Orleans, um, you know, potentially could make some sense for both sides. Um, and with all of this, it comes down to how much you value your young talent and whether you think uh, Kevin Durant is indeed sufficient to make you a title contender. And I think for mm-hmm. many teams – the reason they're calling is the answer is yes. And they do have that degree of optimism that Durant would make them that much better. Uh, but look, New Orleans, bright young team, but the reality is they were a playing team last year and it might not immediately coalesce for them where uh, they give up great players, someone like Ingram, add Durant, and then suddenly uh, contend for a title. And then you also consider that Players do age, even great ones like Kevin Durant. And in two years, you figure he won't be quite as capable of scoring 30 ruthlessly efficient points every night. So so, uh, I still do like the the concept of New Orleans, though. I I just, yeah, I always turn back to what does he want and Phoenix or Miami. um, I think if I had to... Make a guess. It, it would be one of those two, uh, and I think I would land on Phoenix. Who I believe yeah. remains the be- remains the betting favorite, and, and that seems sensible to me. Uh, yeah, uh, super unpredictable, uh, but I would say the Suns. If if we're making a a bold prediction here, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm, I think we can all agree that Kyrie is probably going to go to the Lakers one way or another too. It just seems like they just have the particulars at that point for that trade. Uh. That being said, I will say this. There's one team that I think the Sixers – actually, two teams that I think the Sixers need to watch out for. Maybe not next year, but two or three years down the road. Watch out for the Orlando Magic. They could throw out a starting, a legitimate starting five with four out of their five starting five being six foot ten. They have Jalen Suggs. They have Markel. They have a core of Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, three really good young guards. Then you still also have Jonathan Isaacs coming back from injury. You have Franz Wagner, who was really good his rookie year. You have Boncaro, who's the first overall pick, and Wendell Carter looks good. Did they get back Mobamba? Did he go back? Yes, he did. Okay, so he's back. That means you have a backup center that's like seven foot one. Like they could cause the Sixers some really big problems. Well, the East some really big problems because they're so huge. They're like Toronto. If Toronto had like two inches on every one of their players. And then you have the Detroit Pistons. And I think that backcourt of Ivy and Cunningham is going to be special. And I think Sadiq Bey is going to be really good. I don't know about their center situation because I don't know about Duran and I don't know about Marvin Bagley or Isaiah Stewart or any of them. But that that perimeter attack of Bay, Ivy, and Cunningham is going to be something special in Detroit too. 
All right, man. Let's go ahead and end the 200th episode of the Sixer Suns podcast. Yeah, man. So listen to everyone who tuned in and heard all of the Sixers talk. I uh, just want to start off before we sign off to say thank you to Noah. Thanks for your knowledge, your insight, and, and everything that you bring to the table and to the Sixers community. We, we really appreciate it. Much appreciated to you guys. As I said, uh, it was exciting to see that this was a milestone episode. Legit, um, big honor to, to be a part of that. And I, I thank you guys for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. And for the people who have mm-hmm. not subscribed to the Sixer Sense podcast, please, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Google Play, Apple iTunes, we're even on Audible, go ahead and click subscribe. We really appreciate it. And if you can, leave a comment. Let us know what you think about all the topics that we bring up on this podcast. That being said, until next time, we'll bring you more Sixers content. You guys take care out there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.